Welcome on in to Wild Card Sports Hour with Will. I hope everybody out there is having a great Friday morning. We have got a great show today. Glad all of you guys could be joining us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Rockets, and later on, we are going to have a special treat. Robert Ford, the voice of the Houston Astros, is actually going to call in for a segment. We're going to talk a little bit about last year's World Series championship and see uh, what the team is looking like in this uh, spring training this year and, of course, going into the 2018 season. Uh, so we are going to be so happy to have him on later on in the segment, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, of course, we're going to start off today talking a little bit about the Rockets. Of course, they have now extended their win streak to 14 games after their 105-92 victory over the Clippers on Wednesday. Um, but before we go any further talking about the about the Rockets win, we have got to talk about the most disrespectful move I have ever ever seen in a basketball game James Harden with the crossover on Wesley Johnson if you haven't seen it go watch it right now it is the most disrespectful craziest thing I've ever seen uh crossover Wesley Johnson put him on his uh, put him on his behind and basically continue to stare him down right as he made a three-point shot right in his face uh, it was all over Sports Center. I'm sure, of course, if you paid any attention uh, to the national sports media, uh, you saw it. It was, my goodness, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. But just another highlight signature play for James Harden to you know further his MVP candidate uh, candidacy. Of course, uh, the Rockets now have moved to 48 and 13. Um, of course, now they look to extend their streak to 15 games with uh, against the Celtics on Saturday. Um, so Rockets right now are rolling going into the second half. Of course, we've you know this is uh, they've had three games since uh, the All Star break. Uh, we talked about it last episode, of course, with the uh, Rockets' second-half schedule. Uh, it's just going to get tougher and tougher the more that they go. So it's nice to see them actually uh, winning these games that they should be winning. Uh, had a great win against the Jazz earlier in the week. Had quite a few guys out, Clint Capella, Eric Gordon, uh, Ryan Anderson. So uh, fantastic to see the Rockets clicking on all cylinders. Uh, again, now at 48-13 and 13 with that half-game lead over the Warriors. Uh, but I want to move on to uh, to another interesting thing. Now, we had kind of talked about it a few weeks ago. Of course, the Rockets are completely focused on beating the Golden State Warriors at this point. A few weeks ago, Steve Kerr made some interesting comments on Twitter, of course, about James Harden. And uh, when Trina Gorey was on with us, we were talking a little bit about how Steve Kerr made those comments and uh, said he accidentally posted on Twitter uh, talking about how James Harden travels anytime he does the step back, which is absolutely ridiculous. But we kind of highlighted that this might this might indicate that the the Warriors might start you know are starting to get a little bit worried about the Rockets. Well, Kerr's back at it again. He made some more comments this week. Uh, second time, of course, uh, he basically said that the the league is protecting shooters and was pretty much specifically calling out James Harden and more specifically talking about James Harden Harden's ability to draw fouls beyond the three-point line. So, again, that just furthers the argument that we were making before that Steve Kerr and the Warriors, I believe, are really starting to get scared of the Rockets. Of course, at this point, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say if, if the Rockets get home court advantage they're going to beat the Warriors because we've highlighted in the past, the Rockets have some clear advantages over the Warriors. And I think the Warriors are starting to realize that that's the case. Uh, you know, of course, Clint Capella, the emergence of the Rockets young center has given them a clear advantage over the Warriors, as opposed to the Warriors center, who's Zaza Pachulic and JaVale McGee. So, the Rockets have a clear advantage there. Uh, you know, of course, you know, th this is going to be a game, uh, you know, against the Warriors, it'd be a game that's decided on the perimeter. But having a guy on the inside that's going to be able to, you know, create space, 
you know, of course, going to be able to run the pick and roll with James Harden and Chris Paul and, of course, get on the boards and get those rebounds is going to be huge. Uh, and we've already highlighted it before, the, the Warriors bench, and it really the overall team overall has really seemed to take a step back from last year. Defensively, they're nowhere near what they were last year. And, of course, their bench is really starting to show their age. And so the Rockets, on the other hand, with the additions of guy, you know, veterans like Joe Johnson, Gerald Green, and, of course, the reigning six-man of the year, Eric Gordon, it's, it's really at this point shown that the Rockets have a clear advantage in that as well. And going into the playoffs, when, of course, you're playing, you know, possibly four playoff series, four seven-game series, depth is a huge thing when it comes to the playoffs. You, they, have, they have got to have so much – they've got to be healthy, of course, number one overall. But having the depth, uh, the, the advantage over the Warriors in that, in that instance – it, it could be huge. It could be. It could be huge. And I really think that the Warriors at this point are really starting to are starting to focus on the Rockets. Uh, you know, the Rockets. Uh, the Rockets general manager Daryl Morey made those comments before the year, basically stating that uh, stating that the uh, the Rockets were fully focused on the Warriors. But you know, you, you saw the Warriors kind of brush those comments off, saying that we're really not focused on the Rockets. But at this point, this is a second time in the last month, pretty much, that Steve Kerr has made a comment about the Rockets, or specifically at you know something relating to the Rockets. But of course, the Rockets now, after this is their second 14-game uh, win streak, so uh, at this point, they'd be hard pressed not to pay attention to the Rockets. So, as we highlighted, this is a second 14-game winning streak, which uh, of this season for the Rockets, which is. You know, not a light feat. There's been quite a few teams, or not really, a few teams in the past that have been able to pull this feat off. And, you know, every year, every time that that happens, it seems like the team is, of course, either going to end up in the conference finals or in the finals themselves. But, you know, as we as we talked before with, you know, with Trina when she was on, Trina Gouri, our native basketball expert, the Rocket, the Rockets versus the Warriors at this point is really starting to look like it's going to decide the NBA uh, the Cavs, the Cavs were really falling apart. Um, were falling apart right before the All Star break. They made a huge overhaul in trades, uh, and of course, gotten with the additions of Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, um, uh, and George Hill. Uh, they seem to get they seem to get better immediately uh, for two or three games, but it's already starting to look like the NBA has figured them out. So. What you could see on Saturday is a possible finals preview with the Rockets versus the Celtics. Uh, right now, the Celtics are in second place in the East, uh, but a, a, lot of a lot of people are actually having the Celtics as the favorite uh, to dethrone the Cavs from, the, from, the, uh, from their, I believe, four straight finals appearance. So, uh, it, again, take a look on Saturday. Like, this could be, you know, this is going to be a really good test for the Rockets. Of course, uh, it's going to be a challenge to extend that winning streak to 15 games. Um, but at this point, I mean, they're 48 and 13. I believe they're 10 games ahead of the third place team. So right now, it's it's a battle. It's a battle in the second half for the Rockets to, uh, the Rock, between the Rockets and Warriors to decide who's going to get that number one overall seed. And of course, a game seven that that you know the number one seed, of course, is going to decide who gets that home court advantage if there is a, if there is a game seven. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see how the Rockets play out in the second half. Uh, again, we highlighted in the in, in you know a few a week ago, and so that the Warriors the Warriors second half schedule seems to be significantly easier than the Rockets. However, the Rockets have have really seemed to step up their game against the better teams. So uh, it does it doesn't necessarily mean that the Warriors, of course, are going to finish better than the Rockets just because they do have an easier schedule. Um, I do fully expect, of course, the Warriors to get back on track to some extent. 
Uh, you know, it's it's hard to say that this is going to be as good a Warrior team as it was in the past, but uh, really, uh, really, the Rockets, I mean, on paper, you have to say that this is probably the best team that they've ever had in franchise history. And as James Harden said said this past week, this is our year. So you you can see it with these guys that they believe that, uh, you know, the veteran the veteran buyout uh, contract for Joe Johnson, you know, after he was bought out, um, coming over to the Rockets, that shows, uh, of course, a guy at his age um, and his, you know, his caliber, his resume, he's not going to come to a team unless he know, unless he thinks he can win a championship. Um, and of course, he, he without a doubt chose the Rockets. Uh, no hesitation there. He he said as soon as he got bought out that he wanted to go to the Rockets. So. You know that the guys in the locker room, and of course Daryl Morey, the Rockets general manager, and all the front office has really shown that they are all in, and that this this is the year this is going to be the year for them. So of course you know it, it helps the Warriors are falling off, but again we I do fully expect them to get back to get back to full strength. But those those flaws that we talked about, those are I don't think those are going anywhere for the Warriors. You know their bench uh, their bench is aged. Uh, it's shown that. So I'm just at this point. At this point, the Rockets have a few clear advantages over the Warriors, and if we're looking at it on paper, I think the Rockets have the best player in the NBA right now. Uh, I'm going to go out and say it. Of course, uh, Kevin Durant is having a is having a, an amazing year, but overall, I'm going to say that the Rockets have the best player in the NBA at this point. And then, of course, with the addition of Chris Paul, that's just another playmaker to you know to f- uh, facilitate the offense, and you know his defensive caliber is is unmatched by by most point guards in the NBA so the Rockets have the tools they have the weapons to actually beat uh, to actually beat the Golden State Warriors so I'm gonna be uh, it's gonna be exciting of course like I said Saturday is gonna be a, is gonna be an awesome matchup to watch against the Celtics uh, really could see a possible finals preview in that and of course the Celtics have their own MVP, MVP candidate of their own in Kyrie Irving so it's gonna be exciting uh, I, I believe it's gonna be exciting but I fully expect the Rockets to uh, you know, to pull out on Saturday, and then of course, uh, you know, going into the second half of the season, uh, maintain that winning streak, of course, and uh, you know, hopefully pull out that number one seed uh, over the Warriors because it is going to be crucial for them to get that and possibly get a home court get home court advantage for a Game Seven of the World Series or of the uh, NBA fi- or NBA East or Western Conference Finals, possibly. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. Welcome back to Wild Card Sports Hour with Will here. Uh, I am so honored to be joined by one of the voice, very talented voice of the Houston Astros. Uh, Robert Ford is joining us via the ACU credit uh, credit hotline. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So the first question i got to ask, have you been fitted for your World Series ring yet? Oh, yeah. Got fitted for it during Astros Fan Fest in January, and now looking forward to, to actually getting it. Absolutely. Have, uh, now, I know that I saw that there were about four different concepts on the ring. Have you have they uh, narrowed it down exactly what that ring is going to look like quite yet? No, I, um, you know, I, I know that they, you know, there have been different things floating around. I honestly haven't paid much attention. I mean, whatever they give me, I'll be happy to wear, that's for sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah, we are a little bit, uh, a little over, I guess, four months removed from that incredible World Series Game 7. Um, so, of course, we're heading into spring training. Uh, of course, is it hard going from a World Series Game 7 to going into these spring training, or is it, how, how's that going for you guys? No, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's been a few months, like you said, and, uh, um, you know, it's, it's just part of the kind of the cycle, too. And this is this is the way things go. You, you go through spring training, guys get ready, get to see some prospects, guys get in shape, that sort of thing. 
then you know the games gradually get more and more important obviously mm. you get to the regular season and you know hopefully if you know you have the year that that the Astros are hoping to have and games will just continue to get more and more important as the year goes on but after you go through what the Astros went through with with pressure packed games for a month it's nice to get a little break because uh, you can't you can't sustain that sort of adrenaline and that sort of energy for for a real long period. Absolutely, yeah. So that being said, of course, you know, yeah, like we said, four months removed from that. Uh, what's been your overall sense, of course, of the locker room atmosphere heading into 2018? Is it is it focusing on this next season? Is there still a little bit of that World Series hangover? I think guys are ready to move on for 2008 to 2018. Obviously, last year was was fantastic, a historic season, and uh, that that was all great. But I think at this point. Um, I think most guys are are ready to start talking about 2018 rather than 2017, mm-hmm. and that's where you want the focus to be. You don't want to be uh, continue. You know, you don't want to continue to just talk about what you did in the past. You want to focus on what you can do next, and and especially when you have a team like the Astros do, where you know the future is pretty bright. Ash last year was great, obviously, but there's a chance for this team to do even more special things this year and, and in the next few years. Absolutely. And of course, this uh, this offseason really was highlighted by, you know, one of the more aggressive moves in baseball with the addition of Garrett Cole. Um, of course, Garrett Cole is two seasons removed from that Cy Young caliber season, but regressed a little bit in 2016 and 2017. Uh, but the Astros, of course, made the move to go out there and get him. What has been some of the things, of course, that the Astros are looking to get out of Garrett Cole um, in this uh, in this offseason to, of course, get him back on track to where he was two seasons ago? Well, I think the thing you have to keep in mind, too, when you look at Garrett Cole, so 2015 had that great year, won 19 games. 2016, he he pitched pretty well. He was Mm -hmm. just hurt, was on the DL a couple of different times, um, and still made over 20 starts. And then last year, the the overall numbers weren't great, but, I mean, they still weren't bad. And I think the biggest thing that was noticeable last year was a spike in, in the home run rate. And I know the Astros feel that there's some things in terms of pitch usage and things like that that Garrett Culp could improve upon, maybe use his four-seamer a little mm-hmm. more than he has in the past, and that will help uh, reduce the home run rate uh, from where it was a year ago. And and you could, I mean, p- potentially last year could have just been an outlier because he's never been a guy who's been a, a high home run guy, a guy who's been prone to giving up a lot of long balls. Uh, but that seems like something that that the Astros feel like they can fix. I mean, the stuff is still there. He had the highest average fastball velocity of any National League starter last year, so it, it wasn't necessarily a question of stuff, just maybe more pitch selection and pitch usage. Absolutely, and of course, if there's any guy that's uh, shown the ability to help develop pitchers and get them back on track, Brent Strom really has that track record of helping guys out. Now, of course, Cole will be on the mound uh, today against the Mets at 5.05, so make sure you listen in, uh, listen in to Robert, everybody out there. Uh, of course, Cole will be on the mound against the Mets at 5:05, um, but of course this rotation is now stacked completely. You know, features three guys that were on an, or that were opening day starters last year. Um, so of course this team is loaded on paper. Um, so it's going to be really tough for guys to crack roster spots that are looking to. But who's a guy that Astros fans might not necessarily know about, but they should keep an eye on because he could possibly make an impact on this upcoming season. Well, I mean, I don't know that there are too many unknowns on this Astros team at this point, uh, but I, I think. When you look at the 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 bullpen, I think the guy to keep an eye on is Tony Sip. If he can return to the form that he had 2014 
2015. He was one of the one of the better left-handed relievers in baseball and one of the better pitchers in the Astros bullpen. That would really be a huge lift. There have been some signs that you know maybe the splitter's been a little bit better that that had kind of gotten away from him the last few years. Uh, so if he can continue to get better with that and give the Astros uh, a really strong option from the left side, I think that really bodes well uh, for this team in 2018. Absolutely, yeah. Of course, uh, last year during the playoffs, the you know the struggles of the bullpen were highlighted a little bit, and of course, um, the lack of a left-handed uh, reliever um, was something to keep an eye on throughout the year. So, yeah, having a guy like Tony Sitback could really, really help. Uh, you know, really help complete this bullpen. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Now, of course, with all these young guys during spring training in the locker room, uh, you know, I, I saw, uh, I read recently that uh, Justin Verlander actually came out and basically made uh, made a speech telling all the young guys in the locker room that, hey, you guys are more than welcome to come up here, come up to me, pick my brain, um, which is not something I, I feel like you're typically used to seeing. But how how important has it been having guys like Justin Verlander and Dallas Keuchel there to lead these guys by example, especially these young guys during uh, spring training? I think it makes a difference. And the thing about Verlander, um, and you, you talk to guys in the clubhouse about him, even guys who've been around for a little while, you know, you have one impression of somebody when you play against them. And a lot of times when you become their teammate, the impression changes completely. And I think the thing about Verlander is he's a guy, obviously, with a tremendous track record, has done a lot of great things in this game and, uh, you know, is, is certainly on a, a Hall of Fame trajectory. Uh, and so the, a lot of guys probably feel like well i know this you know a lot of guys felt like well maybe this guy isn't approachable maybe this is a guy who's just kind of does his own thing uh but verlander clearly is not that sort of guy i was actually um i did a radio show with chris davinci last night and he was talking about that very thing about how verlander is very approachable uh any of the guys can, can go up to him ask him for advice on pitching or, or anything like that he's He's very accommodating, and he's also always looking to get better. He's always looking to learn. He's not resting on his laurels, and I think that sends a message to everybody else. I mean, this is a guy with a tremendous track record and, you know, just continue doing the same old thing, but he's someone who understands the importance of trying to improve and always looking to get better, and if he can always look to get better, then, you know, there's no excuse for anybody else on the team not to do the same. Absolutely. I mean, having those veteran guys in there, it's it's absolutely important and key. Uh, Robert Ford joining us here via the ACU Credit Line Hotline. Um, of course, uh, yesterday, Kyle, uh, Astros top prospect Kyle Tucker actually hit his third home run of the spring. Uh, I mean, what has the buzz been around like around this kid during the whole entire spring training? It was Ted. That's what the name played on his locker. His teammates changed it as in Ted Williams. Really? That's what he was compared, compared to... Um, that's who he was compared to on draft day with his swing. Uh, but I think the thing about uh, Tucker is, you know, very talented young hitter. Uh, I was really impressed. Actually, I've been impressed by all of his home runs, but the one I was impressed by the most is the second one he hit uh, where he hit it to the opposite mm-hmm. field almost. I mean, he didn't get it off the end of the bat. He got quite a bit of the barrel on it. But, I mean, if you looked at the swing, wouldn't have necessarily expected the ball to carry the way it did which gives you an idea of the amount of power that he has and 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 the and how special he is at the sort of bat speed that he has uh so he's been a lot of fun to watch he was a guy before this year i mean he had come up to big league camp a few times and gotten a handful of at bats but this is really you know he's he's played a lot more this is my my first chance to, to really watch him uh and, and watch him swing the bat and uh, certainly a, a guy who has a chance to be a real elite hitter. I believe he's 
I think uh, MajorLeagueBaseball.com has him ranked as the, the 15th best prospect in all of baseball, not just in the Astros system, but in all of baseball. So that gives you an idea of the the sort of the sort of talent that this guy has. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you know, finding five tool guys like that, uh, you know, they're they're hard to come by. And it really, truly seems like Kyle Tucker is that five tool guy um, that really could take over and be one of the you know main uh, components of the Astros outfield for years to come. Um, but of course, uh, you know, the season is going to be kicking off March 29th in Dallas, uh, of course, against the Rangers. Um, but the division seems to have gotten a little bit tougher this year. Of course, the Angels with the addition of Shohei Antani, Kosart, and Kinsler, and then uh, D. Gordon uh, uh, going to Seattle. Uh, but overall, who do you think, who are you expecting to be the biggest threat to the Astros overall? Well, I mean, I think you have to look at the Angels and the Mariners. Uh, you mentioned the additions that the Angels have made. Obviously, that they, they, they're trying to get a lot better. Uh, and they challenged for a playoff spot until the final week of the season last year. Uh, so, I mean, that, that was a team that, that already had some talent, and they, they definitely have gotten better. Um, you know, there's been a lot of attention, obviously, on Shohei Otani because of just the uniqueness of, of what he's trying to do to be a two-way player and how the Angels are trying to accommodate that. But, you know, Ian Kinsler, Zach Cozart, I mean, those are some pretty solid additions that they've made. Uh, I think the Mariners, their offense is, is really good. Uh, one of the better offenses in, in all of baseball. But I, I, I do wonder about their pitching a little bit. You know, Felix Hernandez uh, wasn't all that great last year, and he dealt with a lot of injuries. And uh, they dealt with injuries to the rest of their staff. Uh, they used them, I believe they used the most starting pitchers of any team in baseball really? last year. Wow. Uh, and you, you figure this year they shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't go through quite as many guys. But I think there, there certainly are some question marks about their rotation. Um, so I think. But I still think that they're going to be a very formidable team. So when I when I look at this division, I really think that the Mariners and the and the Angels are are, are right right there right there, and maybe not quite to the level of the Astros, but certainly pretty close. Um, I think the A's have a chance to be pretty competitive. You know, very young team, don't really know what you're going to get from some of these guys. They have some talented young players, but most of them are, are pretty new to the big league, so still not quite sure what you're going to get from them. But I think they have a chance to maybe surprise some people. Um, and I think the Rangers, frankly, have taken a step back. I don't think they're going to be. I mean, last year was a struggle for them. I don't. I think this year is going to be a struggle for them as well. They have a lot of question marks with their rotation. That no one really stands out. I mean, obviously, they no longer have you Darvish trading him to the Dodgers uh, last year. Now Darvish signing a free agent deal with the Cubs. Uh, but and they were all in. The Rangers were all in on, according to reports, on getting Shohei Otani, and it wanted. They've been scouting him since he was in high school in Japan. Uh, but they really? wanted him not getting him and and i think that certainly uh, affects the rest of their team and and when you look at their rotation but you know i, I think that um it, it should be a fun division as always i think the astros are the team to beat i think everybody else in the division recognizes that also uh but that doesn't that certainly doesn't mean anything in march it, it's all about how you play the how you do when you play the games but uh, it should be another fun uh, al west race and i think the division's better than it was last year Absolutely. Well, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. We got about 15 seconds left here. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course, uh, make sure everybody tunes in 790-505 for first pitch against the Mets. Listen to him. But thank you again so much for joining us. And of course, good luck with the uh, with the start of the season and the rest of spring training. All right. Thanks for having me on, Will. Of course, everybody, make sure you listen. Uh, tune in 790 at 505 for the Astros uh, first pitch against the Mets. 
Um, but yeah, we were talking, of course, the Astros are going to be kicking off their season March 29th in Dallas against the Texas Rangers at, you know, a heated rivalry, which talking with Robert, Robert doesn't really expect the, uh, doesn't expect the Rangers to do too much this year uh, as opposed to being competi- the competition that they have been in the previous years, the Astros' biggest rival. Um, but, you know, of course, it, it was very interesting talking to him. Uh, of course, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Justin Verlander, the addition of Derek Cole. But and we've highlighted in the previous in the previous weeks how how much better the Astros have gotten and really a team that has shown that uh, shown that they want to get better, which is typically not something that you see with a team that's coming off a World Series victory. Uh, you know, you just look at some previous champions. Of course, the Cubs last year, uh, you know, lost uh, you know lost Araldis Chapman, probably their best reliever. Uh, didn't show any interest in re-signing him. Um, the year before that, the Kansas City Royals uh, won the World Series and have continually, you know, regressed uh, year to year after that. But with these Houston Astros, what you're really seeing is you're seeing an investment in the future. Uh, and of course, as Robert said, the the future is very, very bright. Um, of course, for the Houston Astros. But it was just very interesting find, uh, finding out that a guy, you know, like Justin Verlander is 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 going out of his way to be approachable to these young guys. Uh, you know, to really develop them, and especially coming off a World Series title, you really couldn't ask for anything more out of that. Of course, the Astros acquired Justin Verlander uh, actually after the actual trade deadline um, last year as he uh, came over uh, from the Detroit Tigers. Um, and, you know, the, the man is going to be making, of course, uh, close to $20 million a year. Um, so, of course, it was a huge investment. And, of course, with one series title alone, it really, really pays off just to have a guy like that in your locker room. But this spring training, it's been very interesting because, of course, as we highlighted, a few of the Astros pros, uh, prospects um, are getting their shot, and it's going to be really tough for them to, you know, to crack a roster spot. Um, however, these guys, I mean, these guys are helping develop the future of the Houston Astros. It's not what you're seeing on the field, you know, between Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and Dallas Keuchel and Jose Altuve. It's fantastic, of course, just to see them out there uh, doing what they do on a day-in, day-in basis on the field. But I really don't think it's been talked about enough what they're doing off the field. You know, these guys, these guys seem very humble. They're, as Robert said, you know, they, they're on to the next year. They're, they're not focused on last year at all. Of course, the World Series title was great. Um, it was great to have some time. It was great to have some time off. Of course, a little four-month uh, off time period between Game 7 of the World Series and uh, spring training this year. But... Uh, these guys are, it sounds to me like these guys are hungry to get back out there, uh, to get out there and win this city another title. Uh, but moreover, they're really invested in developing this young talent. And I think you could already, uh, you can already see it. You know, we talked a little bit about, uh, a little bit about the Astro, one of the Astros top prospects, uh, Kyle Tucker, um, who Robert actually said that they were, they put Ted over his locker room, basically referring to him as Ted Williams. But, you know, having guys in the locker room like Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa, these guys that have been there before, you know, and especially in the cases of Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, guys that have been very top prospects in the past, um, having those guys there for, you know, a guy like Kyle Tucker to go and pick their brains, find out exactly what, you know, what's going on there, you know, how how we can, you know, make different approaches. Uh, it's, it's just it's it's huge. It's incredible to see this. And of course, more than anything, it's it's fantastic to see that the Astros are making a clear, uh, you know, a clear case to improve at least on paper. Now, of course, it's it's always going to be tar- uh, hard to go back to back. The target's going to be on their back. Of course, uh, every team is going to want to is going to want to play their best against the defending world champs. But 
on paper, at least, the Astros have look like they have gotten better, which is hard to say after coming off a 102-win season. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, with uh, you know, with the addition of Garrett Cole, and as Robert stated, maybe the regressions in 2016 and 2017 aren't as concerning as a lot of people thought when when the Astros first traded him. Uh, of course, we stated, you know, Garrett Cole, who the Astros acquired from the Pirates, is two seasons removed from a Cy Young caliber season. Um, but of course, statistically showed a little bit of regression between uh, the 2016 season and the 2017 season. But uh, you know, with the, with guys and the you know guys out there like Brent Strom, the Astros pitching coach, who has shown a clear ability to help develop these pitchers and really, uh, you know, really help them utilize their best pitches and find out what's going to make them more successful as pitchers, I really would not be surprised in, in the slightest if you see Garrett Cole ref, uh, return to his 2015 form, where of course he, he was two seasons he was two seasons ago where he was a Cy Young type pitcher, and then as well having guys in the locker room like Justin Verlander, as we stated before. Uh, you know, of course, it's great for the young guys, but learning from each other, you know, these these superstars in the in the MLB learning from each other, you really you really see that that's the case with these Houston Astros. So the chemistry in the locker room really seems to be unmatched at this point, in my opinion. Um, and of course, we talked a little bit about the competition within the AL West. And the fact the fact is the Astros on paper, at least are head and shoulders above the rest of the rest uh, the rest of the division. The uh, Los Angeles Angels made some key additions and have definitely got better. Uh, the same thing with the Seattle Mariners. They have they have gotten really, really a, a lot better. So the Astros, of course, are going to have a tougher, divi- tougher division, but they still are the head and shoulders favorites. Now, I do want to transition a little bit, of course, into uh, the MLB's uh, baseballs being juiced. Um, it actually came out in an investigative report that they had done some x-rays on the baseball, and this is really not... Two new news uh, for anybody. Uh, everybody pretty much knew in the MLB that the baseballs were juiced, but the MLB continues to deny it, deny that these baseballs are juiced. The home runs last year were an all-time high for a season. Um, and, of course, that that's including the steroid years, um, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, so, these, you know, there were more home runs last year. And, of course, really, of course, you can't attribute it to steroids anymore. I mean, the MLB is cracking down on it at – you know, an all-time high, essentially. So the X-ray report, of course, basically revealed that these balls uh, were essentially juiced, making them travel a lot farther. Um, so Justin Verlander, you actually you actually saw Justin Verlander called out uh, Major League Baseball, actually uh, said that he didn't like being lied to by the commissioner um, of the MLB and everything and Robert Manfred. So it's going to be interesting to see how the MLB uh, goes, uh, goes about addressing all this, especially with the new report basically confirming what everybody essentially already knew that these baseballs were juiced. Um, so a lot of a lot of different interesting strategy things going into next year. We did highlight it last week. Uh, Going to be interesting to see how uh, how teams adapt to the new uh, the new mound visit rule. Of course, they are now limited to six mound visits that don't include pitching changes. And as we stated last week, of course, this is this is going to be very interesting just because. The MLB in the last few years seems seems to be in a constant state of paranoia as far as sign stealing, other teams picking up on signs, and those mound visits a lot of times are used to change up their signs to go out there to the pitcher and say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use different signs for different pitches uh, because they think we think we're picking up on our signs or on our pitches." 
So there's a lot of interesting stuff going in uh, into next year as far as the strategy goes. Uh, so going to be interesting. Of course, the Astros, uh, the Astros probably boasts arguably the best rotation in baseball at this point. Um, as we stated before, they have three opening day starters, uh, not to mention they have guys left and right in Brad Peacock, Colin McHugh, Charlie Morton, and of course, Lance McCullers um, that can plug into the ro- rotation on any given game. Uh, the other interesting thing that I that I took away from the uh, interview with Robert Ford, the voice of the Houston Astros, uh, was the his uh, expectation to see Tony Sip back in, back in the mix. Now, Tony Sip is the Astros left-handed reliever that, after the 2015 season, where I believe he boasted a, a sub three ERA and really was one of the main components of the Astros bullpen, uh, he received a three-year extension. Um, which he's going now into the final year of his uh, of his three year extension, uh, but the last two years you've really seen some big regression for him, which was not something that the Astros wanted to see, of course, because the lack of having a left handed reliever in the bullpen uh, was huge at some points at some points during the season, and you saw it eventually accumulated to them trading for a left handed uh, left handed starting pitcher to plug into their bullpen in Francisco Liriano. Of course, Liriano has now moved on, um, no longer with the Astros, but. The Astros, the only if there was, if you were to say that there was one glaring weakness with the Astros, um, it's their lack of le- lack of left-handed pitching in the bullpen. So, you know, the Astros have the the farm system; they have the talent within the minors to go out and get a guy if they need to. But if they were able, if Tony Sip was able to reemerge and really, uh, as Robert said, you know, more effectively use his splitter uh, to actually, you know, get the you know get these key outs out of the bullpen. Uh, that will be huge. It will be absolutely monumental for the Houston Astros because it will actually, of course, seal up any glaring weaknesses um, on a team that's coming off a World Series title. So, of course, it's hard to say that, but if there is a, if there is an area that the Astros can actually improve on, um, it is uh, the left-handed pitching out of the bullpen. So, going to be interesting to see how it turns out. Of course, the Astros season kicks off again uh, March 29th against the Texas Rangers. I believe their uh, home opener is on April 2nd, the following Monday. Um, they're going to be in town, of course, going to be inv- unveiling the banner, uh, giving away those World Series rings that we talked about with Robert a little bit about. So uh, going to be very, very interesting to see uh, you know, what this team looks like going into opening day. Not a whole lot of roster spots to be fought over, but of course, uh, the, other, the other big news coming out of the Astros camp was the injury to uh, Yuli Gurriel, the Astros' first baseman. Uh, did have surgery on his hand, so he's going to be out only about six weeks. Uh, so we should see him fairly, uh, you know, fairly early in the season. Uh, regardless, he was having to serve a five-game suspension, uh, so he is going to be out for about six weeks. But we should see him relatively short after this, uh, you know, shortly after the season starts. So it does at least open up one roster spot. Uh, I believe at this point the consensus is that Derek Fisher is likely to take over in left field, and Marwin Gonzalez is probably going to be taking over most of the day-to-day at first base. Uh, so going to be very, very interesting to see uh, you know, if these guys can utilize the playing time that's going to be allotted to them um, in his absence. So you know, the Astros do have some very intriguing storylines going into next year, but the biggest thing more than anything is, of course, it looks like they've gotten better on paper, which is just not an easy thing to say. But going to be fun, of course, again, season kicks off March 29th. Make sure, of course, everybody uh, tunes in uh, later, 5.05 again. Astros will be uh, first pitch at 5.05 on 7.90 against the uh, Mets. Um, so going to be, obviously, get a chance to see Garrett Cole, who we talked a little bit about in his second appearance as a Houston Astro after going uh, two scoreless innings in his first start. So off to a good start for Garrett Cole, but we'll see how it goes. 
Now, uh, I want to transition to this. Of course, we talked to about it in the first segment last week, talking about how the FBI had released a statement uh, basically showing that they had uh, well over 20 schools that had been cited as giving illegal benefits to players um, in regards to money and compensation and things like that. Uh, well, in this past week, it actually went a step further. Uh, it actually got released that the University of Arizona head coach, Sean Miller, was confirmed on wiretap, basically talking about how he was giving $100,000 uh, to secure the recruitment of top recruit DeAndre Ayton. Now, DeAndre Ayton is widely considered to be the top prospect in college basketball, uh, probably going to be the number one or number two overall pick in the draft in this upcoming year. Um, now, they are the the NCAA has uh, left the disciplinary issues at least for the time being up to the uh, up to the University of Arizona. So uh, now Arizona, while they are investigating this, have still uh, allowed Sean Miller. I believe he coached his first game back uh, yesterday um, in a win over Stanford. Um, and DeAndre Ayton has played in every game since. But of course, this is going to be this is going to be a huge fallout. This is just another step further in this FBI investigation. But as we stated last week, there are 27 schools that are making well over $100 million just on their athletics alone. And of course, four or, four or five of them are making well over, uh, well over $150 million. And these, guys, these athletes are crucial, are, are crucial aspects, of course, to them getting this money. And not to mention that the NBA, the NBA is really the only sport that restricts these guys from going to uh, from going straight out of high school into the pros it's really the only other sport now of course football i believe uh, i'm not sure if there is actual rules in place for them coming straight out of high school now there would never be a scenario really where a guy would come straight out of high school and go into the nfl uh j just because uh, football is a sport that really has to develop these athletes but basketball is not you know you look at some of the best players in the nba you know, and a lot of them came straight. Uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, these guys, Tracy McGrady, these guys in the past, they came straight out of high school. And the NBA is literally stopping them from making money. And then on top of that, you look at the NCAA, who's making hundreds of millions of dollars off these off of these athletes, and these athletes aren't seeing a dime of it. Now, of course, there is definitely an issue with the you know with it with college basketball at this point uh, because it does seem like there is a systematic uh, flaw with these guy with these coaches offering illegal benefits which is going to be addressed. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, after this FBI investigation and pretty much everybody coming out saying that there, there definitely is a problem there. We are going to see some major overhauls in college basketball, but overall it's time to play, pay the players at this point. And especially, especially in basketball, when you are going to restrict a guy coming straight out of high school and say that, you know, Hey, they aren't prepared, you know, they aren't prepared to go to the NBA. Well, that's not, that's not the NBA's decision to make on that. These guys are 18 years old. Of course they can go fight for their country. Um, you know, they're, they're considered adults by the law. And of course they are not allowed to go out and go out and perform a job that they are more than qualified to do. Um, and then on top of that, you make them go to school for a year and you're really offering them no compensation. Of course, they are giving them a, you know, full scholarships, but these scholarships are, are things that these guys really don't want at this point and they're not going to use. They're going for one year and then they're going to the NBA. And I just think really at this point, you know, the, the main argument for paying, for paying players uh, a lot of times is how are they going to do it? How are we going to make the playing, the playing field level? Well, I think that you would achieve you would achieve you know a lot more beneficial things than talking about even evening the playing field. Of course, the graduation rates for you know college basketball really, and I believe college sports overall is not ideal, and especially in college basketball when these guys are leaving after a year. But if you if you offer to pay players 
and you incentivize them going to college and getting a degree, it's going to be mutually beneficial for the player and probably for the college at that point. The college, the colleges, uh, the universities, of course, have more than enough money to pay these athletes. And if they pay them, and of course now there does have to be, they need to figure it out logistically. But if you pay these players, and these guys have the opportunity to go to college, not make probably the same, of course, not make anywhere near the same amount of money in uh, the pros, but you incentivize them for, hey, you can say, you know, the NBA might not necessarily work out. We're going to give you more than enough money to live off of while you're in college, and you're going to get a degree at that point. Then you're going to see these graduation rates skyrocket. Guys are going to be uh, guys are going to be more incentivized to to stay in school the entire time. And then, of course, for the guys that don't want to do that, you, you allow them to go to the pros right out of high school. So if, I, I, it just seems to me now, and of course, like I said, logistically, there's a lot of things that they would need to figure out. But it just it just makes sense to me that you know these guys are making more you know more than you know more than enough money for the university for them to be able to be paid. And then on top of that, I just feel like it's detrimental, of course, to the university. And then you automatically see these things that, you know, rise up out of it. You know, a systematic a systematic uh, flaw in the system where guys are getting paid under the table. And, I mean, really, at this point, I mean, these guys don't want to be in college. So, you know, it, these top schools are competing for these recruits. And the only way that they can – the only way they can score these top recruits is if they offer them, the, you know, these benefits under the table – um, but of course, as we stated before, there's going to be some major overhauls. And the thing, I, you know, I do fully expect at the very least here in the next two or three years, you're going to see the one and done rule go by the wayside. Um, I, it just, it just doesn't make sense at this point, And it hasn't worked out like, like the NBA had hoped it to, or well, really the NCAA had hoped it to, but hopefully, you know, you'll see some major overhauls, um, in the off season, uh, in the off season, as far as all this goes, but you know, I know we're I know we're probably not anywhere near the the players actually getting paid, but I, I just think that it makes sense at this point and it's time, you know, we live we live in a day and age where we can figure it out. You know, as far as you know, as far as an un, you know, not making the playing field level, the playing field isn't level at this point. Um, you know, and I, I honestly think that it would it would attribute more or it would help out more for them to pay these players and help even out the playing field, but Again, I think we are, are we are quite some time removed from that, but at, at the very least, we need to get rid of the one and done rule. We've got to allow these guys allow these guys to go to the pros at, or straight out of high school if they want to, because of course that that alone right there was probably going to fix a lot of the issues that they have right now with paying these players. Of course, uh, as we stated before, DeAndre Ayton, the number number one recruit in the nation and the top pro, top college basketball prospect. Uh, seems to have been offered $100,000 to go play for the University of Arizona. And, you know, there's only – you can only imagine there's countless other programs that are doing that. Uh, same thing with, same thing with football. There's There's been rumblings, probably not as prolific of an issue in college football as it is in college basketball. But college basketball has got an easy fix. Get rid of the one-and-done rule. And I think the NCAA overall has an easy fix in paying the players. But uh, I, do think, I do think we are quite some time removed from ever seeing that happen. But – at the very least, you know, at the very least, they, they should allow these guys to get sponsors, um, which they don't. Of course, these college athletes can't go and sign a shoe deal with Adidas or Nike or anything like that. So the NCAA at this point is not only refusing to pay them, they're restricting them from making any type of money whatsoever. So I just, at this point, I'm just, you know, I, I think I think the NCAA does need to make some major overhauls, and I think you will see that happen here in the near future. But if it doesn't, you're going to continue to see cases like this University of Arizona deal where, you know, coaches are, are paying players under the table, and really it's just causing more issues than, you know, it's fixing. So 
Well, we've got about 30 seconds left. I just want to thank everybody out there for tuning in to us this week. Of course, a uh, special thanks to Robert Ford for joining us today for a segment. Of course, again, everybody make sure you tune into the Astros uh, March 29th for their first game of the year against the Rangers. And of course, they will be playing today in spring training at 5.05. We'll be back on the air next week, of course, uh, talking a little bit more about some sports and uh, we'll have something good for you then. Uh, of course, hopefully those Rockets will extend that streak. But thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time.